Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hey, I'm Walking Here with Jared Weber. Uh, how are you? How are you doing? Doing good? Great? Excellent? I'm just talking to myself on my webcam. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> Today's intro is going to be relatively short. Uh, we have an episode with Rose White. Uh, her and I went to college together, and she runs a letter called Rose Knows. Uh, over the past several weeks, she's been covering COVID-19. Uh, that wasn't the original intention of the newsletter. Uh, she talks a little bit more in the episode about what her original intent was and what it's morphed into. Um, she's a journalist. Uh, she has a wide array of experiences. Uh, she wrote her own book back in the day, uh, Crumbs. And uh, additionally, <clears throat> she's been writing on Medium for the last several years, covering a variety of different topics, you know, everything from mass shootings, sexual assault, politics. Uh, my personal favorite is Junko Jeans. We talked a little bit more about that. Uh, but it's a really great episode. Uh, I really encourage you to listen and not take, you know, any of the opinions, you know, too, too much to heart. You know, try to put your political biases aside if you can, because uh, it's a really great episode with a lot of really good information. And the main goal, you know, of our conversation was just to get the right information out there for the public to say, stay safe. I'm still getting used to saying that. But, uh, you know, it's a really great episode. Really great. Um, but, yeah, I don't really have too much in the intro. Uh, not a ton of uh, comedy in this episode for you comedy listeners out there. But it's a really, really awesome interview. It's kind of uh, our first expert interview. So I really think all of my seven listeners to this podcast are going to be really excited <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Podcasts, Stitcher, um, and a variety of other spots. So if you guys could, you know, follow on your favorite platform, write reviews. Um, we're on YouTube for the full video. Uh, so subscribe to that. Uh, I'll put some of those links in the description so that way you guys can find them. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy, or I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Uh, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Uh, you know, give me feedback if you liked it or not. So, uh, enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. All right, welcome back everybody to another episode of Hey, I'm Walking Here. Uh, today's guest is Rose White. Uh, her and I went to college uh, together back in the day. How are you doing today, Rose? Doing very well, how are you? Good, good. So uh, I'm really excited to have Rose on today to talk about some of the efforts she's put behind researching COVID-19 from a journalistic perspective and her newsletter, Rose Knows, which uh, didn't start off as a COVID-19 letter, but uh, has quickly evolved into one. Um, over the past few years, I've followed her writing on a whole variety of topics from politics to uh, mass shootings to every 
everything and anything, including Junko Jeans, which is probably my favorite article. Uh, I was unfortunately a victim of the Junko Jeans era. So, <laughs> uh, RIP, I miss those jeans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, could you start off by just giving us a little bit of uh, a background, kind of what you're doing now uh, professionally, and talk a little bit about Rose Nose? Yeah, so um, I work for a local news station. Um, it's the ABC affiliate in Grand Rapids, which is WZZM. Um, and I work on the digital side of things. So it's a lot of general assignment writing um, and basically everything you see on our website, someone on our digital team has a hand in creating. Um, so I do that professionally. That's what I get paid to do. And then um, on the side, so probably about, I don't even know, two months ago, three months ago, sometime before the pandemic hit, um, I decided to start a newsletter, um, mainly just because I think like a lot of people don't enjoy reading or watching the news, um, especially people that I associate with. So it was mainly just a newsletter to help my friends be more up to date on what's going on. Um, the intention was never to have it be like a big thing. It's just to kind of give people that I know more resources and more context on what's going on in the news. So I started that. Uh, and then I think on the second week, um, was when coronavirus became a thing or a, a bigger mm -hmm. deal. So, um, yeah, I think like out of eight newsletters I sent so far, like six of them have been about coronavirus. Yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it is, it's really nice because I, uh, I subscribe to it because I notice when reading the news for me is like, there's so much everything like going to any news website that it's nice to just have things kind of digested. So I recommend everybody go up and subscribe to Rose Knows. I'll have to get a link from you to throw that yeah. in the description because it's really great. And I'm sure yeah. Post COVID nineteen, it'll talk about a lot more. <laughs> yeah, COVID nineteen. Hopefully, we will get to that point. <laughs> yeah, has uh, has the coronavirus affected how you're doing things like professionally as well? Um, so I do work from home now. Um, so I guess in that sense, and then now it's just like all I'm doing is writing about coronavirus all day, every day. Mm. So, um, I'm definitely saturated in the topic. Um, mm. so I think just mainly to that extent, um, it's kind of hard to escape. I think it's hard for everybody to escape it right now. Um, uh, but I'm definitely, uh, inundated in the issue. <laughs> yeah. So, um, coronavirus is obviously a topic with a ton of information and, and disinformation, unfortunately. Uh, I was curious to get your thoughts because you're, you're really in that world of where people should be looking for active, I guess, an active kind of truth. Uh, I don't know what the, the lingo would be professionally, but, uh, you know, where, where can they find, you know, some of the information um, that you're getting essentially for your your newsletter and what what would be good for them to keep following up on? Sure. Um, yeah, I think like right now, misinformation is a really big problem, partly because uh, it's hard to watch the news right now or read the news um, because it is pretty grim. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's just the nature of living through a pandemic, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think because of that and because people 
maybe aren't employed right now or are at home more. They're spending a lot more time on social media. So that coupled with the lack of wanting to digest news or like vetted information um, just means that falsehoods are swirling even more than they probably have been before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like my advice is the same as it's always been for news coverage. Obviously there's a lot of distrust with the media, but I think um, I just tell people like go read a couple of stories a day from different websites um, and go to like a national newspaper um, go to a local newspaper or a local news station, um, and just kind of like read a few things. And if there is something that you see pop up, just like Google it to see if other people have covered it. Um, and usually like, that's a good way to just like balance it out a little bit. Um, I think it is hard to do that because you then have to like know where to go. Um, figure out how to like navigate a new site. Like it is, it's just like learning how to like, it's like a new class in college, essentially. Like Mm -hmm. when you first start, you have to like figure out the professor, do all these things. And there's just like a learning curve. So if you're not used to reading the news or digesting media in that way, um, there's just like a learning curve on figuring out how to do it. So, um, yeah, it kind of depends on the person. I usually, if people ask me for specific help, then I'll give them a little bit more guidance. But that's my sort of like broad scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting point because I think that, you know, in terms of cable news, that tends to be a lot of people's first source. Uh, mm. I know with some of the people uh, kind of in my circle, they're always giving me information from one uh, single source that I won't name right now. Uh, <laughs> but then I tell them to, you know, do their research. And the first thing they'll do is they'll go to something like YouTube where anyone can put anything in there and it's not yeah. necessarily vetted information. Like there's, you know, you might find Bloomberg's or MSNBC's, you know, where YouTube channel where they do have some vetted information, but you know, going to, uh, the anonymous YouTuber that puts out a, a two-hour video of conspiracy theories is not necessarily <laughs> that <Yeah>. information. <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely agree with you there is that people just need to look, you know, locally what's going on. Cause you know, not everything's covered on a national level. Yeah. I think right now, especially local, I mean, this is going to be biased because I work in local news, mm-hmm. but like it is incredibly important just because all of the decisions are being made on a state level. Mm -hmm. So if you, and like New York times or Washington post, they're not covering, they're not doing in-depth coverage for every single state. That's impossible. So like I have also been advising people like read your local news right now, because it's going to have more information that's going to be affecting your day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Um, and explaining those like big policies and big executive orders. Um, and like the national news, maybe do that secondary to just get some like global or national context of what's going on. But like, yeah, especially with what's going on and how everything is being made on a state level basis, um, local news should be a primary source for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also still hard to know where to go if you're not used to that. So speaking of kind of a global or uh, a worldly perspective, you uh were educated uh, for your journalism degree in the UK, correct? Yes. So I'm assuming you still have connections over on that side of the world. Are 
uh, is it different? Is there a difference in the coronavirus coverage uh, in the U.S. versus the U.K.? Um, I'm not necessarily sure about the coverage, but I think how the virus has unfolded is a little bit different. Um, and so the coverage will reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the United States is a unique case because the virus is just highlighting our existing flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the UK, they have a national healthcare service. Right. Um, and they don't have the same uh, tight grip on civil liberties that we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's still a democracy. A lot of countries are democracies, but um, I think people there are, are a lot more compliant and understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is being made on a national level in the UK, not on a state base. So it's a little bit different there. Um, and their prime minister also got it, got the virus and was in the ICU with it. So I think that also makes it more real for people. Um, I think here in the United States, unless you live in a city that's hit hard, you might not have the same sense of realism about it, um, or under have a, a solid understanding of why these things are important. Um, and I think in the UK, every single person knows Boris Johnson, so then every single person knows someone who got sick from it. Um, and that just brings it home a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely been some differences, but that's just based on how the virus has unfolded differently here. Um, I mean, the United States has the highest case count in the country, mm-hmm. um, and we have a lot of obstacles in addressing it. So it's just different because we have to cover those different elements of how the virus is adapting and evolving here. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting to kind of still on that global perspective to see the political, uh, the political weaponization of Taiwan, because Taiwan had a pretty good response to my understanding to the coronavirus. And it seems like a lot of different sides of the aisle are using that as like, well, it never really made its way over there. And then the other side is using as well. They had increased texting and, you know, federal response. So um, it goes back to, you know, kind of being more worldly in your research about it. Uh, But yeah, that's, uh, it's an interesting perspective. You know, I wonder what would happen if we were doing it more on a national level. Um, Michigan's an interesting case too, because we have an extremely high case count, which we don't know if that's reflected above just better testing or, you know, what really brought that on. Um, I don't know. Is the, is the Grand Rapids area, is that kind of like a hotbed where I'm at is more of like the Detroit area, which is kind of a nightmare right now. (laughs) Yeah. Southeast Michigan has been hammered by this. Um, There's no question about that. Um, And that's why I think like, different parts of Michigan are going to emerge out of this with a different trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like on the West side, um, our curve is definitely different. Kent County is actually seeing a huge surge in cases right now. Um, today they actually had their highest daily case mm-hmm. count so far. They've like broken their record every single day for the past four days. Mm-hmm. It's still nowhere near the numbers on the Southeast side, but um, they attribute a lot of that to increased testing um, and just sort of like, the testing criteria has expanded in Michigan. Testing is more accessible. Um, but we are still seeing like, well, it's going down in Southeast Michigan, the case count. Um, it's actually like increasing 
exponentially in, in Kent County. So mm-hmm. we'll, I'm not sure if that will have an impact on hospitalizations or if it is just like mild cases that are testing. Um, uh, cause the death count is actually still pretty low here. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll just see how it unfolds over the next couple of days. Um, if it's just like a blip or yeah, but can I think Grand Rapids in general, like our hospitals aren't to the point of being overrun with patients. Um, so yeah, it's just a different experience. Yeah. And the other, uh, the other interesting thing about the West side is there was a, a spectrum has like a, some type of pandemic response program which we definitely needed (laughs) about two months ago on the east side uh, yeah which um which is good to see hopefully you know that puts you know different things um i know uh the ann arbor area because i actually i i live southeast but then i i work closer to ann arbor so the ann arbor area they set up like a field hospital and different things like that so yeah interesting yeah, and I think like Spectrum is the biggest hospital system on the west side, and they have 14 hospitals in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more centralized. I think on the east side, like there are big hospitals, but there's like multiple big hospitals in different systems. Mm-hmm. So I think that just is going to affect the response and affect the care in a sense. But there's also only so much you can do when you're completely inundated with patients. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely different struggles and different ways to adapt and change. One, one thing I'm curious about is you mentioned the death count. Um, and that seems to be a large talking point for kind of that political weaponization, as we've mentioned earlier, is that, well, there's a lot of cases, but people actually aren't dying. And I feel like that number's not truly been studied yet to see the full effect I was just curious, kind of like your opinions on, uh, you know, the death count or if you have any research behind what that actually means. I think um, in general, things are moving at such a breakneck pace right now that we don't have a context on most of the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just trying, like the media, public health officials, we're all just trying to keep up with everything that's happening every single day. So, yeah, I I would assume the death count is not accurate um, at this point just because there's been such limited testing. So there's probably people who have died. Um, and, I mean, even just today it came out that the United States had its first death weeks before it was reported mm-hmm. because those people were not able to get tested. So I think that in coming months or in the next year, as data can be um, assessed more rigorously than just what we're able to keep up with on a day-to-day basis, we'll probably see a lot more of that come out. And even in the state of Michigan, they started, um, they've adapted their death count too, where someone, um, if they die from their, it's like really convoluted how they explain it, but once a week they're adding, um, they're reviewing death certificate data and adding like a lump number of deaths that weren't attributed to COVID originally. Mm. So it might've been someone who had COVID, but the cause of death wasn't listed as COVID. Mm. So there's also like those things that are like interesting. Um, and we're just trying to like unpack what that means on a day-to-day basis and not really what the larger context is. So, it's like the data is important right now in just trying to figure out how to limit the spread of the virus. 
but there's still a lot of questions around it um, and a lot that we're probably not going to find out until things kind of slow down a little bit more. Yeah, the underlying cause, um, when they, they, you hear that phrase quite a bit of, you know, it wasn't, you know, COVID-19 related or it was, you know, they had un- underlying health issue like diabetes because I, you know, we've, uh, we've seen from some of the preliminary research that people who are in poor health get affected a lot harder from COVID-19. Um, from my point of view, I've always seen that as well. They might've had diabetes, but still the (laughs) COVID-19 was the, the result of the death, which it's going to be interesting to see how that's defined. It's going to be, because I feel like that's, used as like well you know they didn't actually die from getting this flu-like virus they died because they had all these other problems and it's like well if i had diabetes but i got hit by a car it wasn't the diabetes that killed me it was right, getting right. hit by a car so right um yeah i think like the political arguments around that are confusing to me um i don't know why people would want to inflate death numbers Mm -hmm. for the sake of I mean the argument being made is to like get more resources but it's like we should all have more resources to address Mm -hmm. the pandemic and no one would like try to inflate a death number like that just seems absurd to me and I don't really understand that logic Um, but I I do have questions about how the COVID deaths are being counted Um, and MLive actually had a really good piece about um, how they're going to have to eventually differentiate like people who died from COVID and people who died with COVID. Mm. Um, and so, and we're just like, not, I think the capacity to put in that nuance and that distinction just isn't there right now. Mm. Um, but they, yeah, MLive did a really good job of explaining how the death count, um, is kind of all encompassing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to, (laughs) yeah, it was sorted out <laughs> that's great i'll actually have to check that out that's really interesting um but yeah i uh i think that it's definitely death count is definitely a topic that people get hung up on and it you know the practicing social distancing and being safe and washing your hands first and not you know dabbling into how our death counts are reported our conspiracy theories is a good thing to focus on right now and that's one uh question i had for you um because you're in the you're in the media world is what are your thoughts on these active disinformation and conspiracy theories because i mean you see just i've I i feel like i've seen everything come out of the woodwork with this one and i didn't know you could create conspiracy theories this fast because i tell you what when i took intro to uh you know fiction writing i wish that I had had some of these theories because, I mean, it's great, great sensationalist stories, but it's just wild. I, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's not just like one operative behind misinformation, you know, like there's just like a lot of people who are out there either like it's a joke or they would just want to like create chaos or like it's political or just whatever, or it's just like someone who doesn't understand something and, and they make a post and it goes viral and then it's out there. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how like sinister the like misinformation is, but um, it's definitely rampant right now. Um, and it's definitely because I work in news, it's frustrating 
um, to just see things get misinterpreted constantly. Um, and also just to see people's opinions and beliefs on things be shaped by information that is like not vetted at all um, and like massively inaccurate. Mm -hmm. So, and and then it's like once that opinion has been formed, it's like rock solid, <laughs> especially, yeah. you know, on social media, you know, no one wants to be confronted on social media. So, and since I'm not seeing other people, that's where I'm seeing all the opinions out there. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it's hard yeah. too when you're when you've been affected by COVID nineteen. Like if you've lost you know employment or you've lost family members, it's really easy to get involved into you know some type of wild conspiracy theory or you know everybody's against us type thing. Um, but it's definitely I've seen I feel I feel like I've seen so many because two thousand sixteen was bad with conspiracy theories, <laughs> but like I feel like yeah. this blows it out of the water from what I've seen. Yeah, it's it's bizarre how when there's so much news happening right now, there's also so much disinformation happening at the same time. Um, and I'm not really sure how many people are actually being affected by it um, or if it's just that that small minority is loud. Um, and that's just like kind of the nature of social media. Um, like, I mean, at the end of the day, the majority of Americans still think that they're they're more concerned about the stay at home order being lifted too soon rather than it being lifted or staying on too late. So I think like it's good to have that perspective that just because a group is loud and there's like a lot of misinformation out there that it might not actually be affecting the majority of people and shaping their opinions. Um, but it's frustrating nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, and that's that kind of leads me into my next question here about um, kind of getting active, like like truthful information. And one thing I've always struggled with, you know, with reading media is uh, defining, you know, medical studies and polls because depending on the outlet or the source, you know, they have their own idea of what constitutes a medical study or a poll of how Americans are feeling. Um, I was curious, how in, in your profession, how are you defining, you know, medical studies? How are you defining, you know, polls like, you know, something that's like six out of 10 Michiganders feel this way or sure. know, this new vaccine is here? Yeah, I think um, with stuff like that, specifically, like I'll talk about polls first. Um, it's good to just like if you see one article, just like Google that same poll and see how another outlet covered it um, and see if it was done similarly. And then also like look at the methodology, um, see how many people were surveyed, um, what area of the country or like the state they were surveyed. Like I think there was a poll out last week. Um, can't remember who did it. Maybe the free press, um, just people's um, perspective on Gretchen Whitmer. And it was done mainly in Wayne County. Um, and it was, I think like 600 Michiganders had been polled. So that can also like shape how a poll comes out. Cause I think people in Wayne County are going to have a different perspective on Gretchen Whitmer's actions than people in like Ionia County or somewhere that's a little bit more rural. Um, so I think those are like two ways to just like be a little bit more media literate, um, on polls. I think medical studies, I mean, I am not a healthcare reporter. Um, and I think that's one way to read that kind of stuff is like if the writer does write about healthcare a lot um, and they are well versed in it, then I 
usually have a lot of faith that they know what they're talking about. Um, but if it's somebody like me who does not cover healthcare and does not, is not like well-versed in reading medical studies, then like maybe just see how somebody else covered it. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I don't usually write up medical studies either, just in, in my current position. But I think, um, yeah, like reporters who, if that is their beat, they are an expert on that topic and they know how to digest and disseminate that information. Um, outlets and reporters that are not uh, experts on that, it's going to be interpreted a little bit differently. Mm. That's a really interesting way of looking at it because uh, like um, for me, I'm a technical writer every day and I've worked in automotive and software but i've had people ask me about legal technical writing and i'm just like absolutely not like that is not right. my forte so right that's really uh that's a really interesting way of looking at it is you know what has you know the reporter had credential wise and what is their background have they covered other pandemics you know um and that information takes a little bit more digging than you know just looking at what's right in front of you um yeah so that's a great way of looking at it um so I know you, uh, you do like a, like a reading list in Rose Nose. Um, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you actively go about like finding your reading list? Because I, I follow The Atlantic as well, which is a really mm-hmm. great outlet. Um, I try to keep up to date with ProPublica as much as can, I can. But um, do you have any like other resources that you're looking at? Um, so usually I just create that list out of what I've been reading that week and what I think people would, um, connect with. And I try to have it be something that's not just like daily coverage. Um, so usually it's just like for my own reading, I, uh, like my system is I just like use Twitter a lot to read things. Um, so I'll look through my timeline and read whatever, um, pops up. And then I'll also go to like a few home pages um and then also just like since i work in news i am like seeing headlines from everywhere every single day so um yeah it's just like from like a week of (laughs) digesting a lot of information and then i just pick the one that i think will resonate most with the people who subscribe to the newsletter interesting so being um being in media, uh, you said you're working from home right now. Have you had to cover any stories kind of on the, like the front line of COVID or have you had to visit anywhere? Uh, no, thankfully not. And I think, um, a lot of health departments, actually all health departments, they are not doing any in-person interviews. Um, like thank God for the internet because we're able to like do all of our coverage that way. Um, and like, I'm also not a photographer, so I don't have to go out and get photos of mm-hmm. scenes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's hard to stay home. I think everyone feels that way. Um, but I think it would also be hard to be going out, um, and feeling like you're being exposed to stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing any trends um, kind of for the next couple months? And one thing I thought was really interesting in your last newsletter was the uh, kind of the pandemic summer section with the article Mm -hmm. of kind of what to expect and how to act. Um, I'm curious, you know, I I know it's only been a week, but has has any of the trends changed kind of what you're seeing? Because, you know, in the last week we've had several states saying they want to 
reopen, which yeah. I'm very concerned about. <laughs> yes, I am also concerned about that. Um, so what my newsletter about is about this week is just how we can prepare to reopen. And uh, I don't think that the United States is ready to reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's a lot of political pressure on governors right now to reopen. Um, so, I mean, I I don't know how the virus will unfold. Um, the optimistic view is that things start to reopen and we don't have to go into another lockdown. Mm-hmm. But uh, the realistic view is if we do reopen too quickly, we will have to go into another lockdown. Um, and I'm also not an economist, but I'm pretty sure starting and restopping the economy multiple times is going to be devastating. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to take a lot of political willpower for governors to reopen slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also like testing, we are not doing enough testing still. And it's like, everyone sounds like a broken record because we have been saying it for months or for yeah, months Mm -hmm. now. Um, but in order to safely reopen testing needs to be made widely available. Um, and then also like enabling contact tracers. Um, Mm -hmm. so just being able to track the virus in a quick and efficient way. Um, and then I also think we need to be open to the idea of like stricter isolations for people with the virus. Um, I think, poor communities are being hit harder because people live in generational homes. Mm -hmm. So if if someone has the virus and they isolate in their room, they're still like, that's not enough. Um, And so I think there needs to be a solution to that as well is if someone has the virus and they live with other people, what is the safest way to get them out? Is there a way to get those people away from other people? Um, And I don't think that's, that's been adequately addressed either. Yeah, and these are all things that Dr. Fauci has repeated several times, which he's he's kind of been our guy for, what, like four administrations now, three or four? Yeah, he's been around for a while. Yeah, so yeah. it's just interesting to see, you know, because, I mean, you, everything you say, you know, I, I feel like I hear this all the time, and then I, you know, when you talk to people that have been affected by it, either economically or you know, you get different varying opinions, which I think really we just all need to try our best to stay stay safe for sure. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, just to like comment on the protest, um, I I think the anger is misdirected. uh, And I think the reason that we're not seeing testing expand and we're not seeing these things happen in a quick enough way is because there isn't enough of a public push for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I'm like, oh, in a dream world, people would like direct their anger at like governments to get testing done mm-hmm. faster. Um, but I think that's just like a hard thing to protest for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just like weird and nuanced and people aren't mad about that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, even though it's been said over and over again, I don't think people really grasp how important it is to be able to reopen. Um, and we've also sort of like compartmentalized the discussion on it, um, which is also kind of baffling to me. Um, it's like either the focus is on the economy or the focus is on the health crisis. Um, 
And I think like we can't talk about it like that. Like mm -hmm. we, sh we shouldn't be saying we need to reopen to save the economy. It should be like, how do we adequately address this health crisis quickly in order to reopen to save the economy? But right. um, it's, it's been like one or the other in a lot of the debates. Um, yeah, so I would like to see more people getting upset about the lack of testing, but that's like kind of a hard thing to be mad about. <laughs> yeah, and I think it goes back to, to protesting, not to get back to normal, but to get better than normal, because I feel like we could prepare a lot better for the next pandemic, hopefully. You know, I really hope that this kind of sticks with uh, people for a while of like, this is why we need, you know, better access to health care and better response and, you know, more uniformity across the board for getting the resources that people need, because I highly doubt in human history, this is going to be the last kind of uh, viral right. disease we see. Yes. So I'm, I'm, yeah. really, I'm really hoping that, you know, there is a push to make things better than they were before. Um, yeah, I think there definitely will be a ripple effect um, out of this, I don't really know what kind of policies will be born, but um, I, I don't think it's forever shaped our shaped our psyche and shifted our thinking on everything. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what how that impacts how we move forward and what kind of changes come out of government. But mm -hmm. time will tell on those things. One uh, one question I'm curious about is uh, kind of in your in your writing. Um, have you looked at uh, any of the previous pandemics? So like there was the Spanish flu and you know the plague and how that is. Are there any are there any comparisons to kind of what we're going through right now? Um, a little bit. I think uh, this is definitely the worst pandemic since 1918. Um, and that pandemic also lasted several years. Mm -hmm. um, and this is also brought up quite a bit is in 1918, they had their first wave, um, reopened everything. And then the second wave was worse and more devastating and killed a lot more people. Mm -hmm. um, granted, this is like a very different time period. So um, I'm not, I don't want to compare the illnesses in that mm -hmm. sense. But that has been a big talking point in terms of how to reopen um, is saying we need to learn from what happened in 1918 um, and look at how to avoid having a second wave that would be worse than the first wave. Because mm -hmm. um, I think like we're all tired and exhausted right now um, across the board. And so the idea of like having to do this again down the line is just like frightening. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I think I haven't done a ton of research on it, but that's just been like my biggest takeaway so far. Yeah. One, uh, I, I saw through uh, a friend that posted like an article from the Times where they looked at uh, Denver, where they had put um, <clears throat> restriction in place and it started to level off. Then they reduced the restrictions. And this is 1918 I'm talking about. And then it literally skyrocketed for like six weeks and then finally came crashing down when they did more um, restrictions, but that was just part of one of the waves that, yeah. you know, over that several year period that they had to go through. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, like there is a lot of pressure to reopen. Um, but I think something that's not really being talked about is like, we could open everything tomorrow, but that's not going to change people's 
fear of getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't want to go to a crowded restaurant tomorrow if right. it opened, um, no matter how much I want to like leave the house right now. Um, so I think like that also, like it all, it's all connected. Like I think people will feel more secure if they know that governments are prepared to, um, reopen. Um, so like if they know there's widespread testing, if they know there's contact tracing, if they know this virus is adequately being tracked, um, then I think people would feel more comfortable going out into public spaces, um, which would also help the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think without those things, we could reopen and it's not going to people aren't going to go back to quote unquote normal um, because we're all still going to be scared to get sick. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I think that also needs to be a focus is like we can't just open and take away weeks of people being scared. Um, and that's just not going to go away until there is a sense of security. Yeah. It's definitely hard to like enjoy chilies through a mask, you know, like, <laughs> yes. uh, but that, that's a great point you bring up. Cause there was a lot of businesses that were doing curbside and closing down even before lockdowns. So, yep. I mean, that like the States were almost late to the game on the lockdown and there was quite a few businesses like my, my company had made, uh, you know, preparations to, you know, battle COVID-19 privately. So, I mean, there's different, uh, there's a different response, you know, from the private community as well as the public community. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we've had a great, uh, COVID conversation. Uh, that might be the, <laughs> might be the episode title. Who knows? Uh, I do I know. want, want to give you a chance to, you know, promote, um, rose nose and say a blurb about it um yeah yeah um yeah so i mean it's just so i put it out every week um i try to summarize before covid i was just summarizing two or three big stories of the week um to just kind of make sure people were up to date on what was happening um and then i also include a few things that i'm reading but with covid it's just always talking about coronavirus mm-hmm. um and yeah, I, I'm, it's mainly just to help people be informed. Um, I've tried to have the tone be pretty light, but then coronavirus happened and I found mm-hmm. that a really hard balance to strike. So hopefully I'll get, be able to get back to that. But for now it's like pretty grim and serious yeah. and somber. So yeah. Where can, uh, where can people go if they want to sign up? Is there just, um, just a link that I can throw down for? Yeah, I just have the link on my Instagram, which okay. is like not very effective, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sounds good. I'm pretty sure that the seven people, including my mom who listened to this, are going to be very interested. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, just to wrap up here, um, we have a uh, lightning round, um, which is just five quick questions. Um, so are you are you ready? Just gotta say the first thing comes to mind. I'll try, but I'm kinda sleepy, so okay. <laughs> my brain is not moving that fast. <laughs> All right. Uh who's your favorite journalist? Ooh, um I don't know. That's actually really hard to pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't know if I have a favorite one. We could we could expand author too if that helps. Um, okay, this is going to be like very, 
uh, unrelated to COVID, I feel like. <laughs> That's all so, right. This is the lighthearted part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, a journalist based in Chicago, Alex Klotowitz, um, and he covers a lot of, um, I guess, like violence in the Chicago community. Um, and he, he hasn't done a lot of stuff recently, but um, he just has like a really nuanced approach to covering that topic. Um, and so I really like him. He also wrote a book about um, Benton Harbor and St. Joseph, okay. if you're familiar with those areas. Yeah. So two starkly different cities divided by a river. Um, so, yeah, that that's probably my answer right now. He's, like, been a longtime favorite, so not necessarily, like, current, but, <laughs> no, yeah. that's awesome. So uh, what's your favorite part of the U.K.? Uh, I loved taking the train everywhere. I love their train system there. Um, and I just like miss being able to be in like a bustling train station and like getting a sausage roll and like going (laughs) somewhere. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite book, current, Um, former, all time, whatever comes to mind. What is my favorite book? (laughs) I do really like If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. Um, yeah okay great yeah that might be it (laughs) uh so i know you just message or just mentioned the the sausage rolls uh but yeah next the next one is uh what's your favorite food (laughs) uh it's probably not sausage rolls but maybe like tacos i don't know i just feel like i just want to eat everything these days (laughs) tacos are a fan favorite that's for sure uh so what's your plan for the rest of quarantine uh just like working all the time and then when i'm not working i'm thinking about work so yeah (laughs) i haven't really gotten bored yet so hopefully that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's hard you got you because you're quarantined with uh like your family right so yeah so i lose my sister yeah 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 i think it it would be hard to be alone um but it's also hard to be around people all the time too they have their own challenges (laughs) All right. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a great informational episode. Uh, it's probably a little bit different from the the seven listeners I have for the last couple episodes of uh, more comedy related, but I appreciate uh, your time and talking to us a little bit about uh, COVID. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thanks, Rose. Yep. See ya.